All right, good morning once again. Man, I look forward to this moment. Actually, I, I say that I do actually look forward to uh, being up here and opening God's Word and, and preaching and stuff. But I am also very nervous every week, too. Uh, so I like to get to this point because I've, I know that I'm far more nervous, far more anxious before I actually have to talk than once I actually start. So it's not just for you. It's also for me that I'm excited about getting this thing going because <laughs> uh, it gets the monkey off my back a little bit. So, hey, today we are continuing in our uh, Law and Profits series. If you can believe it, this is week 17 of our 22-part series on Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Basically, a, just a patient, slow walkthrough of Jesus' teachings from the Sermon on the Mount, which we find in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Uh, this is week 17, and today's message is called Preemptive Love. Preemptive love. Uh, sometimes when I am driving along, um, I notice a shoe lying in the road. Anyone else notice these things? I'm driving along. There I am, just driving along, and there's a shoe lying in the road. Just one shoe. A solitary shoe. A lonely shoe. Uh, lost and adrift in the world. I wonder about the story. The story behind that shoe in the road. How did someone lose their shoe? Was it while they were driving or while they were walking? What is going on here? I've never, in my now 49 years of living, I have never lost a shoe while driving or walking. Uh, come to think of it, I don't think I've ever really even come close. I've not had any close calls. I mean, I've not been driving or walking like, whoa, oh, almost lost my shoe. I don't, I don't recall ever having that happen to me. So what is going on here? What has happened to this shoe? And maybe more importantly, what has happened to this person? Was it a large and terrible bump in the road as they were driving? I mean, really large, really terrible? Was its owner sticking, uh, carelessly sticking a foot out of an open window and perhaps a large bird or a, or a violent gust of wind stole their shoe from them? Was this person just really disorganized? Maybe wildly haphazard? Um, haphazard enough in managing their personal belongings so as to accidentally, one, lose their shoe and two, not know it. When I see a lost shoe on the road, I really do want to know more about the life of the person who lost it. I mean, when I see a shoe in the road, it kind of launches me into this whole uh, larger um, area of inquiry. I want to know about this person. I mean, yes, the shoe is interesting, but this person and their life, I want to delve into that. What's going on in this person's life? I want to know about their life. What, what is the rest of their life like? How are things going? Are they okay? I mean, what is it that has brought them to the point where they lost a shoe in the road and they didn't know it or they didn't care enough to stop and go get their shoe? Is there a larger theme of chaos playing out in their life? Is there a larger theme of chaos that's leading to these scenarios in which their personal belongings are being lost and left behind on roadways? Does anyone else go, go here? When you see this, I guarantee it. Uh, you're going to notice now, 
today you're going to leave and you're going to notice a lot of shoes in the road because I brought it up. And there's a, this is a phenomenon, and I read about it this week, and I can't remember what it's called. It's got some German name, but it's like a... it's like confirmation bias, but it's like, you know, you go shopping for a a car that you've never seen before, and then all of a sudden you see that car everywhere. Everyone's got that car. It's that bias, that uh, preferential selective uh, observation. Anyway, you'll see shoes in the road, and you will wonder like I do. But here's the deal. While I am deeply curious about this, I... I've come to terms with the fact that I must prepare myself to go to my grave not knowing. I will probably never know exactly all these stories, what happened, but it does not mean that I will not spend the rest of my days forever wondering and forever curious. A story is told of Gandhi losing a shoe one day. See that? A story is told of Gandhi losing a shoe one day, a sandal in fact, while he was boarding a train. While mounting the passenger car steps, the train lurched forward and started to leave the station. It began to pull away from the station and one of his sandals slipped off of his foot and landed down between the tracks. Now being unable to safely retrieve his sandal, Gandhi stood up and then bent down and calmly slipped off his other sandal and tossed it back along the tracks so that it landed near near the other one he had lost. His companions, his traveling companions, were dumbstruck. Gandhi, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? Why did you throw your other sandal away? Now you must walk completely barefoot without any shoes at all. And then Gandhi smiled and replied to them, you know, the poor man who finds the sandals lying on the track will now have a pair of sandals he can use. Whoever finds my one sandal will now find both sandals, and that person will be blessed because they'll have a pair of shoes, a pair of sandals that they can use. Some of you made that like, that comforting like, hmm. When I told that story, that kind of guttural noise that we make when we hear something we like. There's something about this story that resonates with us. We like this story about Gandhi losing a sandal and then like, oh, I better throw my other sandal so that whoever finds it has both of them and they can walk in the sandals. We immediately recognize the goodness and the kindness uh, reflected in Gandhi's actions in this story. And this story, as with many stories, may or may not be true, but it is a good example. It's a good example. When confronted with an unfortunate situation, losing a sandal under a train, Gandhi made the most of that misfortune. He created an opportunity for someone else's blessing. And I like that. I like it that his brain was working in that moment like, hey, I could bless somebody. I could take my misfortune, my loss, and turn it to someone else's gain. Something within Gandhi that day prevented him from wallowing in self-loathing and despair and enabled him to think of his misfortune as an opportunity. Do we do that? Do you do that? How easy is it? I mean, sometimes I get sucked pretty easily into the vortex of self-pity. Like, woe is me. I can't believe I lost my sandal under a train. You know, or or whatever it is. I've never lost a sandal under a train. But, 
you know, I easily go there before I think, well, how could God want to use this situation to bless somebody else? How might God utilize my willingness to bless someone else uh, in this situation? Uh, Gandhi's loss w could serve the well-being of whoever found his lost sandals. I would like to be that kind of person. Would you like to be that kind of person that thinks proactively like that? I'd like to be the kind of person that's willing to live open-handedly, who is able to, even in discouraging or frustrating moments, is able to think about others, to think about the benefit and blessing of others, even when cruddy things have happened to me, even when I've lost my shoe on the road and I don't feel particularly generous or kind, right? I want to be the person that by default goes to a place of like, how might I use this to bless somebody else? Well, guess what? This is the exact kind of person that Jesus wants us to be. This is the kind of person that Jesus has actually uh, called us to be in following him. He wants us to be this way. He wants us to live open-handedly. He wants us to be living examples of generosity and kindness. In fact, Jesus tells us as much in his Sermon on the Mount. He makes a statement here in verse 12 of Matthew chapter 7 that effectively summarizes everything, everything that he has been teaching, but more than that, everything that the entire Bible teaches. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus declares what has been called the golden rule. The golden rule. So let's read it together. Do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the Law and the Prophets. Let's read it together. Do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the Law and Prophets. I want you to consider this passage. It's got two parts. And each of those parts is saying something pretty remarkable. Do to others what you would like them to do to you, which is a switch. Most times this shows up in other literature and other religions and philosophies. It's the opposite. Don't do to others what you don't want them to do to you. Well, Jesus takes it, makes it positive. Do. Be proactive. Be preemptive in this. Do to others what you'd have them do to you. And then that second part, this is the essence of all that is taught in the law and prophets. What a distilled statement. Jesus has effectively distilled all of the law and prophets, all of Scripture, into this one saying, do to others as you would have them do unto you. If that's your primary decision-making matrix, it will lead you toward all that God has taught. Now, we are getting close to the end of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, which means we have likely gotten into some of his miscellaneous teachings. Okay, however, this passage in, in verse 12, contextually, what Jesus is saying here, what he has in mind, is most likely uh, referring back to Matthew 7, 1 through 5. Back to where he was teaching about not judging others unfairly and about being careful in how we correct. Okay, look at Matthew 7, 1 through 5. I think we've got that verse up as well. Matthew 7, 1 through 5. Oh, there it is. Do not judge others and you will not be judged, for you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, Let's, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own? So if we read this passage and then jump right to 12, where Jesus says, Do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. 
This is the essence of all that is taught in the Law and Prophets. So basically, whatever measure you use for others, be ready, because that's going to be the measure used with you. So that tempers us, and that brings us to verse 12. Do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. Treat them how you would like to be treated. Now, remember that Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is widely regarded as his greatest hits. These are his most common central teachings. However, we must not view them all separate from each other. Everything Jesus teaches in the Sermon on the Mount is coherent and it is connected. Everything here that Jesus is teaching in Matthew chapter 7 is connected and coherent with Matthew chapter 5 and 6. If you would like, sometime this week, I'd encourage you, flip back over the past few pages in your Bible and consider all that Jesus has in mind when he says in verse 12, the essence of all I've taught to you is captured in this. And more than that, everything that the, that the Torah and all the prophets have taught you are captured in this one statement. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Now, as I mentioned, the golden rule is not necessarily unique, completely unique to Jesus' teachings, but Jesus did bring it into sharper relief. Jesus, one, as I mentioned, he cast it in a positive, proactive sense, but he also connected it to a deeper spiritual significance, having something to do with our life with God, right? How we obey his command in verse 12, do to others as you would have them do to you, is deeply connected with our obedience to God, our life with Him. How we honor and how we treat others has direct bearing on the kind of person we are becoming. Okay? Our, how we treat others, how we honor others has a direct bearing, has a shaping effect, not just on our character, but also on our very souls. I mean, how you daily practice treating others with kindness and, and honoring them, it shapes who you become as a person. I mean, you've known bitter people, angry people, selfish, stingy people. They didn't get that way overnight. It was a rehearsed and practiced conditioning. Something about how they were choosing to live their life or the environment in which they were uh, living their life had a shaping effect on their character and their soul, and they ended up being kind of a, a, a dismal person. Well, how we choose to live today will contribute to the condition and the shape of our soul. What we do to others is a reflection of our heart, of our attitude, of our character, and ultimately a reflection of our faith. Can I emphasize that enough? How we treat others directly reflects our heart, our attitude, our, our character, and ultimately our faith. N.T. Wright explains it this way. He says, Jesus was neither the first nor the last great moral teacher to offer this so-called golden rule. And it sums up a good deal of his teaching. What distinguishes him from the many others who have said similar things is that underneath the moral lesson is the love of the Heavenly Father. What should distinguish his followers, but alas, frequently doesn't, is that knowing this love they should find themselves able to obey this rule and the other rules that follow from it gladly and freely. They should then discover that they are able to reflect God's love and light in the world. So when you do, uh, uh, do to others as you would have them do to you, when you treat others with kindness and with honor and respect, you're doing it um, and you're doing it um, 
not just for yourself. You're doing it to reflect something about God to them as well. Something is, is being, you're a conduit for something, a truth about God in your treatment of others. We are to be proactive in caring for others. We are to be proactive, demonstrating a preemptive sort of love in all of our intentions, ultimately for the glory of God. We should be seeking to glorify God in all of our interactions. How we show love towards others is a powerful testimony of our faith in Jesus. How we treat others is a powerful testimony uh, to our faith in Jesus, our understanding of what He has done for us in His grace. Much of our Christian witness in the world has been undermined and diminished by unwillingness to obey Jesus here. Christians have a bad reputation because they are widely unwilling to obey Jesus in this simple command. They are unwilling to do to others first as an act of worship to God. Christians today largely are unfaithful in this. We are being unfaithful as God's people in the world. Jesus comes to this theme from various angles throughout his teachings, but he says a tree is known by its fruit. Well, what can we infer from that? A tree is known by its fruit. A good tree produces good fruit. A bad tree produces bad fruit. Just as a tree is known by its fruit, a Christian is known by his or her fruit, which is essentially, as Jesus says, obedience to this golden rule. Whether or not we're obeying the golden rule here. Now, Jesus teaches in Luke chapter 6 that a good tree cannot produce bad fruit and vice versa. Thus, if we love Jesus, if we really love Jesus, then we must do what he says. We will do what he says. You can look at Luke chapter 6, verses 43 through 45. Luke 6, 43 through 45, a good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. A tree is identified by its fruit. Figs are never gathered from thorn bushes, and grapes are not picked from bramble bushes. A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart, and an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from what is in your heart. What you say, what you do, it flows from what's actually residing inside your heart. Jesus' desire is that we would be a good tree producing good fruit. We'd be producing fruit in keeping with our identity in Him. We'd be producing good works that are in keeping with what we say we believe about Jesus, our willingness to obey Him. As Matthew Henry explains, hold on to your hats. This is Matthew Henry. So I think it's from the like 1800s. Sounds like it too. But follow along. The rule of justice laid down, whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do you even so to them? Christ came to teach us not only what we are to know and believe, but what we are to do. What we are to do not only towards God, but toward men. Not only towards our fellow disciples, those of our party and persuasion, but towards men in general, all with whom we have to do. The golden rule of equity is to do to others as we would they should do to us. Do you follow that? Man, Matthew Henry. 
This guy's amazing. If you can get through kind of the antiquated language, he's saying something really important here. He's like, Christ came to teach us not only what to know and believe, but what we are to do. What we are to do not only toward God, but toward men, and not only toward our fellow disciples, those of our own party and persuasion, because that's easy, right? But towards people in general, all with whom we have to do. So, what can we take away from this? What have we been hearing Jesus say? What have we been hearing N.T. Wright and Matthew Henry all say about what Jesus is teaching here? What you believe matters, yes, but it is proven by what you do. What you believe matters, yes, but it is proven in how you live it out. As James, the brother of Jesus, so adroitly challenges us in James chapter 2, he says, faith without corresponding actions is what? It's dead. It's worthless. It's actually absurd. Look at James 2, 14 through 18. James 2, 14 through 18. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but you don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing and you say, goodbye and have a good day, stay warm and eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing? What good does that do? Yeah, it's, it's, it's not just annoying, it's, it's, it's absurd. When we say these things about Jesus, we confess these things about our belief in Jesus, but then they aren't matching up with our actions, how we live. We're so thankful for the generosity and the grace shown to us by Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. Saving a wretch like me. But then we go out and we're, we're, we're stingy. We're unwilling to serve others. We're unwilling to be inconvenienced for the sake of others. What you say you believe about Jesus is proven not only in how you live toward God, but also in how you live toward others. Consciously, intentionally, how you're living toward others. How you're dying to yourself so that others might live. How you're treating other people. There are, get this, there are moral and spiritual implications in how you treat others. There are moral and spiritual implications uh, to how you treat your spouse. How you treat your children, how you treat your co-workers, how you treat your waitress, how you treat those workers at the DMV, and yes, even how you treat other drivers. I know that's a tough, I was below the belt right there, but how are we treating the people that we come into contact in our life? Our willingness and our ability to demonstrate preemptive love our willingness and our ability to demonstrate preemptive love to others, it reveals a lot about our apprehension of God's grace. How we, our willingness and our ability to, to show preemptive love to others, it reveals a lot about our comprehension and our ability to rightly receive the preemptive love that Jesus has shown to us. Would you believe that? When we're unwilling to show love preemptively to someone else, it's betraying a, an ignorance or a stubbornness inside of us that's keeping us from fully receiving that which Jesus did for us. Man, I wish that wasn't connected, right? But it's true. The more aware the more uh, in, engulfed in an awareness of Jesus' preemptive love shown to us, God's grace expressed to us in Christ, the more you're aware you are of that, 
the more inclined you are then to, to, to share that with others, to pass that on, to let it shape you into that kind of a person in the world. Uh, Romans 5, 6 through 11, this is the preemptive love that Jesus has shown to us, that while we were still sinners, Jesus loved us. Romans 5, 6 through 11, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and he died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though. Someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right, made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. I mean, how lavish, how remarkable is this? That God sent Jesus to die for us while we were still sinners. More than that, we were enemies of God. But preemptively, He sent Jesus to love us. To love us and to save us and then send us out into the world to be uh, ambassadors of that same love and that same uh, invitation, that same welcome to the world that God showed us in Jesus. So I want to finish with this. It is, it is hard to fully grasp how foolish Christians look to the world when we, the living and breathing examples of God's preemptive love, when we fail to be loving toward others and thus disobey the very commands of Christ. Can I overstate that? Do you know how foolish we look when we say one thing and we do another? We don't just undermine our witness. We look like fools. We look like fools when we who go out into the world as living, breathing examples of God's preemptive love, His grace and salvation in the world, and yet we are unwilling to obey the very commands of Jesus, the one we say we follow, the one who we say is our Lord and the one that, that owns our lives, yet we're unwilling to be loving toward others. You see, here's the thing. Other people have read this part of the Bible too. Right? We didn't just do this in church under cover of darkness, right? Other people have read this part of the Bible. They know what Jesus has told us to do. They know what Jesus has outlined for us and how we ought to live our lives and what we ought to be doing for others. You see, right or wrong, people around us are evaluating our faith largely by this measure. Are these Christians doing to others as they would have others do to them? Are they obeying Jesus' teachings? Are they doing unto others as they would have others do to them? Now, caution. Many people around us may have warped, selfish, and even sinful ideas of how you ought to be doing unto them. But let's not get sidetracked by that. Let's not let their warped perceptions or expectations keep us from, obey from obeying, from obedience. You will be forever chasing your tail if you try to please everybody, right? If you try to contort yourself to be what everyone thinks you ought to be to them, that's to miss the mark as well. So what do we do? Well, we let Scripture be our guide. 
We let Scripture be our guide. We let Jesus' words and Jesus' example set our course. Let Jesus' words and examples uh, demonstrate for us how we ought to really love others. How, do we, how we love others. It sets the course for us in loving others and, and knowing and ultimately... Um, it sets the course in how we love others and we do it knowing all the time that we are ultimately glorifying God. We are ultimately serving God when we serve others as Jesus commanded us to. So, may we, may we be more and more the kind of people who do to others first. That we practice this preemptive love. May we be quick to stop and to root out the excuse making and, and, clean, and stop clinging to all these reasons why we're not obeying, why we're not willing to do what Jesus told us to do. But this person, you don't know, how, no, no, no. Jesus got nailed to a cross by these people. He got nailed to a cross, brutalized, beaten, and murdered by the people that he came to demonstrate God's love to. Their behavior did not stop him from showing preemptive love. So there's no one in your life that has given you adequate excuses for you not to show God's preemptive love to them as well. I mean, you've got to set boundaries. I mean, that's a whole other talk. You've got to set healthy boundaries. You're not a, called to be a doormat and to be abused. But you must do what's in their best interest. Be kind and care for them, just as Christ has been kind and cared for us. May we be quick to extend ourselves in blessing to those people in our lives. And may we become the kind of people who are willing to throw our other sandal from the train. Man, if we could be that kind of people, that Jesus could work in us, the Holy Spirit could cultivate a, an attitude, a character in us that makes us willing to throw our other sandal from the train so that others might be blessed and that God might be glorified. Man, that's my prayer. So let's go to prayer together. Father, I pray that you would work Jesus' teachings into our heart at a deeper level, a pervasive level, that we would truly hear what's being told to us, that we would uh, step back, step aside from all the caveats, all the explanations, all the, all the uh, ways that we sometimes try to sidestep the full impact of what Jesus is saying. God, help us to become people who love first are preemptive in our desire to, to care for others and do the, the best thing for them. Lord, I pray that we would carry with us a deep and driving sense of the grace shown to us in Jesus Christ. How undeserving we were, that we were sinners and we were enemies of God, yet out of His kindness and compassion, He sent Jesus to love us. He sent Jesus to welcome us in and He sent Jesus to save us through His life, His death, and then His resurrection. God, I pray that we would be uh, people who know the Word. If Jesus is to be our example in His words and in His, His behavior, His actions, I pray that we would look intently at that. Let that set the, the boundaries on how we go out into the world. God, may we be good trees who bear good fruit. May what we believe correspond with what we do in the world. That we would be known as Jesus' people, not by just the t-shirts we wear or the things that we say, but actually the things that we do. The ways that we spend ourselves in service to others. God, make us a, a golden rule kind of people that are fascinated by Jesus, that are fixated on His teachings all throughout the New Testament, all throughout the Sermon on the Mount, but even more than that, all throughout Scripture, the Law and the Prophets. 
Help there be coherency and consistency in our lives. Break those things in us that need to be broken. Shake us awake when we've fallen asleep. Lord, and be glorified by how I live my life today and this week. Be glorified in how my friends here live their life today and this week. May your goodness and your grace resonate in our community, in our city, and in our world because we are faithful and we are obedient. Lord, we make this prayer in Jesus' name. We're going to worship a bit more. And this is a chance for you to sit with the Lord and say, Hey, examine me. Point out these ways where I've become kind of hardened. I've become callous. I've been unwilling to do what you've told me to do. You know the people in your life. And you know those people that you work with. You know those uh, people that are really hard to love. Ask God to give you a heart that beats more like Jesus' heart. How you might show love to them. How you might preemptively love them in the same way that Jesus preemptively loved us. That we would figure out more and more this week what it means to do to others as we would have them do to us. So take this time. We're going to sing. I'll be at the back if you'd like to pray with somebody. Ultimately, though, make the most of this opportunity. Oh,